and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. All right, well, Lord, I just pray for your word as we open it, that you'd speak to us and that you'd um, have your way in us. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, well, um, we're carrying on in this. We're on a journey, like two or three year journey about following Jesus. Jesus actually isn't looking for more cultural Christians, people who do something religious and feel like they um, align to Christian values. That's like, it's possible. Have you ever thought about the idea that it's possible to be a cultural Christian, but not be a disciple all at the same time? A disciple is someone who is specifically actually being raised and trained and mentored to be like Jesus. And to be religious is actually not to be like Jesus. They're actually not the same things. And so we've been on this journey and we're at this juncture called practicing the way. Because it's not a magic wand, it's actually, it's actually an immersive experience to follow Christ. And there were things that Jesus practiced, actually embodied and did, which actually enabled him to be a new kind of human. When you see Jesus, you, you see a new way of being human. And uh, that's what our world needs more than ever. And that's what our lives need more than ever before. <laughs> anyway, so I went to the hospital because one of my daughters needed some pain medication and actually needed morphine of all things. And so I went and they... they they took, sent us into this doctor's area after waiting and the doctor came in and said, oh, what's the situation? What's the pain? You've obviously got quite a bit of pain. We need to sort it out. And then I was there with her and then <laughs> she, the doctor said, do you mind if I examine you? And um, she goes, are you okay if your partner stays in the room? <laughs> That's way worse than a period dinner. Like, I'm serious, man. I just felt so nasty bad. I was like, oh, I'm, nah. And then Ruby was like, it's my father. Like, <laughs> and it's so bad. It's not good. Like, everything's bad about that. And I just think, though, that life, um, see, what, what happens in a church service is that we, we start to remove real life issues, even from our belief system about God, where we can't talk about certain things or can't deal with certain things. I actually remember this. This was a real interesting demarcation in time where I think it was about 2003, 2004, a new set of language was being used. Do you remember going to school and all they talked about was IQ? Do you remember that? What's your IQ? Maybe you didn't go to school when I did. Um, but it was like, what's your IQ? And I was, I was like, I don't know and I don't care. And also, I don't want to take the test because I might realise it's not what I think it is. Like, I, I was, I've never done an IQ test. But about 03, 04, 05, um, new leadership language started to come out about people, leaders, people who wanted to impact, not only needing IQ, and by, by the way, you just don't only have IQ, but you also have, you know, TQ, talent quotient. IQ was intelligence quotient. So you've got AQ, ability quotient, and so forth. But the new language, as you'll be well aware, was EQ. What's your EQ? And that was, of course, emotional quotient. And actually, um, what, what that stands for, emotional quotient, is how you handle things emotionally. And you can see this all the time. You can see it with sports stars. Like there's an all black who's been in the 
in the courts, not because they weren't good at playing the game, but because their EQ, whatever was going on in their EQ, was really undermining their whole ability to succeed, their ability to build and, and move forward. And so I, I want to say that actually, um, and I've written this up here, I think it's quite good actually because that's why I would have got it written up there. Knowing things is valuable, IQ, but knowing yourself is more valuable. Knowing things is valuable, but knowing yourself is more valuable. It's amazing how many people want to know God, but they don't have a clue about themselves. And where is God going to meet you? He's not going to meet you in some removed place. He's going to meet you in you. No, too deep. Sorry, lost you. He is. He, he calls you the temple of the Holy Spirit. And therefore there's stuff in you that when he turns up in you, you don't even have a clue about. And it's like unexplored places you can't go with God. I can't go there with God because I don't know about that. But no doubt it's about God we want to know about. But knowing about yourself is a massive part to journeying with him. And there's a huge disconnect with many believers. Okay, so this is the whole thought on this. And, and this is one of week four, four weeks that we're going to deal with this whole topic. And I'm going to talk about it, emotionally healthy spirituality. Practicing the way isn't just about reading your Bible, praying and being in fellowship and computer, community. Com, computer me. What? It's actually about being emotionally healthy. We can see it in Jesus's life and I'm going to share it with you this morning. And we actually need to look for it in our lives as well. I think that IQ, you can know about Jesus factually, but EQ means that you're actually able to tangibly relate to Christ. This is what Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. This is Jesus speaking. So think about this, that any areas in our lives where we see those activities taking place, the, 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 the theft of things from our life that are good, that are right, the destruction of things that are good and that are right, and the all-out murderous way in which good and right things just get obliterated in our lives, our whole lives, that's but the thief. But he said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That word life, this is very interesting. It's a Greek word that means zoe, zoe. And I'm gonna read you the description. It's not on the screen, but you can look it up in any Greek dictionary. The word zoe, what it means the state of one who is possessed of vitality or animate in the living soul. The one who possesses a vitality or animate, like animation, of animate in the living soul. The absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. Real life Genuine life, I love this word, vigorous, blessed, both here in this world and in the life after through Jesus Christ. <laughs> there is not a lot of Christians, bar or measurer, 
on what kind of life they're getting from him. Abundant life as well. Meaning exceedingly over and over, more, and more than necessary is the description. Surpassing and uncommon, excessive. So you've got excessive vitality and animation of the soul. What is the soul? Certainly without a doubt, to do with your mind, your will, and your emotions. So in our emotions, God is wanting to do a work. God is wanting to do a work in our emotions. God is wanting to do a work in our soul. And the question we wanna ask is, if that is God's will and if that's what Jesus comes to do, how are we going to get that? How does that happen? Does that happen when you give your life to Christ? Like, is that sort of like a thing and you missed out on it? Or, or is it something else? I've, I, firmly, I firmly believe it's something else, even from what Scripture talks and tells us about and talks to us about. And I think that the first shift is understanding what is truly spiritual. The first shift that has to come is actually understanding in your life what is spiritual. Yongi Cho, who was the pastor of the world's largest church of one million members in Seoul, Korea. One million members. He just recently died in the last year. He said this, that he recognised everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. That we've done this thing of separating body, soul, spirit, and I have all these activities in my life that have nothing to do with spiritual things, so they're not spiritual in nature. And it's like, no, God, did God not make your body? Did God not make the physical world? Did God not make your soul? Did God not make the emotions and give you emotions to learn how to express and learn how to manage? And for sure, the Christian world all cheers and commends. Yes, He made the spirit, the spirit. But dismembered spirits are just floating about. They've got a body. And bodies without a soul have no way to express those spiritual realities. Peter Schizero, he started practicing the way as they recognised in their discipleship journey that they were a passionate church spiritually, but parts of their interior life remained untouched by Jesus. He actually said that they were a spiritual people, spiritually passionate, and one of his people wrote at the midway of the point in the journey, and I've quoted it here before, but that they recognised emotionally when it came to God, emotionally, listen, that they'd been a Christian for 22 years, but actually they were a one-year-old Christian 22 times because they'd never taken emotionally spiritual, spiritual formation in the emotional world seriously. They'd never gone on a journey and Peter Scazzaro did the unthinkable, slowed things down in their church to consider what spirituality actually meant. And I'm gonna read you some things that he said. Listen to this. The sad truth is that too little difference exists in terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people inside the church and those outside who claim no relationship to Jesus Christ. He's saying that there is, they're very, very similar at times. Even more alarming, when you go beyond the praise and worship moments of our community of faith. And by the way, what are we doing today? Publicly worshipping God together. That's what we're doing. Publicly lifting up Jesus. He says this, that beyond that, if you look inside the homes of God's people, 
They're often more like a valley littered by broken emotional health than anything else. He asked, does any of the following people remind you of someone you know as a Christian, a Christ follower? Now, I don't want you to lift up your hand. It's a rhetorical question, especially if the person I'm about to mention is sitting next to you. But he says this, does this sound at all familiar? The believer who is never able to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Two, the Christian brother or sister who constantly criticises or gossips about others. Three, the individual who has high control because they can't tolerate a different view. Four, a middle-aged father of two toddlers who's secretly addicted to pornography. Five, the 35-year-old man addicted to gaming, unaware of his wife's or child's child's loneliness. We could talk um, for sure about digital and that. Six, the individual who interprets any suggestion of feedback as personal attack or rejection. Seven, the brother or sister struggling with feelings of bitterness or anger, but afraid to say anything due to the fear of how they'll be received. Eight, the individual who works tirelessly but never ever makes time for themselves and feels resentful when others do. Nine, the two prayer warriors who use prayer meetings to escape from the painful reality of their marriage. Ten, the individual who is never transparent about the real struggles or difficulties in their life. Eleven, the parent overwhelmed with life and now reactionary towards those they actually love but unaware of the damage they may be doing. Now these wouldn't have been on a list when I was a kid growing up of what it meant to be emotionally healthy spiritually. It wouldn't have been. In the list growing up, it would have been, do you pray an hour a day? And how many memory verses do you know? And this is what causes spiritual immaturity, probably more than anything else, spiritual immaturity. This is how connected you actually are to the Spirit of God, the life of God, in an embodied way, okay? It's actually our emotional maturity. Our emotional well-being affects our spiritual well-being and maturity. They're totally intertwined. At times you'd think you're operating in the Spirit, but the moment you look, you're actually expressing emotions. Other times you think you're expressing emotions, but there's a spiritual root to it or a spiritual driver. Paul talked on it a lot, and it's probably his time of depression. Read N.T. Wright's um, autobiography on um, Paul, uh, biography on Paul. He actually writes about Paul's depression when he went through a struggle of his own family getting sick, the Apostle Paul. Um, it was, I was unaware of it, but it is clearly spelt out. He writes in Romans 12, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, so that is your whole being. What's in your body? I've already covered it. Your soul, your spirit, your body. To God, because of all he has done for you, he said that let this uh, be our living and holy sacrifice that he finds acceptable. You're offering all parts of your life. Okay, all parts are holy. This is truly the way to worship him. Not just with the third song on the Sunday that slows down in tempo and has some minor um, sixth chords. Now that's not the only way to worship God, to offer your entire self. 
Don't copy the behaviour and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by how? A zap on the head? A, 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 a moment that you can just like put your finger on? Sure. Primarily though, changing the way that you think. All psychology has started to discover not only is there the functional brain which affects movement and function, but there is also the emotional brain. So you have an emotional brain and a practical brain, computer system. Paul Wright goes on to write in 2 Corinthians 10, and this really starts to challenge our idea of spirituality. He says, for we walk in the flesh. What does that mean? We've actually got a body hidden away with a soul and a spirit in it. We are not carrying on our spiritual warfare though, as in the dynamics and the fight of our spirituality according to the flesh. So I'm not using swords and guns and and bows and arrows, okay? That's what he's saying. The weapons of our warfare, your spiritual walk and your life in Christ, okay, are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Fortresses are things that, seem to be, other language, strongholds that hold us ransom in our thinking and hold our ransom in our emotional world. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, the reality of God in my life, in my body, in my soul, in my spirit. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to make it obedient to Christ. So right there are some big issues, that it's our emotions are like spiritual fortresses at times, in the mind, and and they are built on arguments and assumptions. An assumption is just a belief that you've never tested to be true. You assume it's true, but you never went to the Word of God to see if it was true. A lot of us have a lot of assumptions about God, a lot of assumptions about life, a lot of assumptions about ourselves goes on to say quite clearly that if you re-understand what you consider to be spiritual, wouldn't that change what you believe would be a spiritual weapon? Are we alive? If you reconsider what is truly spiritual, would that not cause you to re-weigh and rebalance what is a spiritual weapon? And he's saying <laughs> your thoughts are spiritual weapons. And you can turn them in on yourself. And they can begin to do injury to not only your spirit, but your body as well. If it's, if it's not limited to that, then surely relationships would be counted. Your career. Do you not understand your career, your calling is, is actually a blessed part of what God calls holy. But thoughts and emotions and our, our emotional world are truly like weapons. So all it means is this. If this is true, then we need to reconsider the thoughts we are having and the assumptions we have made if we intend on claiming the abundant, vigorous, soul-illuminating life of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We don't trust messages like this, by the way. We sit there very sceptical. We think it sounds interesting, but I don't know. I don't know about this one. This is some sort of American psychology. No, Paul has been referred to as the greatest psychologist who ever lived. His entire writings. I would like to say to you, even more than that, if you say, well, how is this practicing the way? 
I want to say, that, say this to you, that Jesus, the dynamics of Jesus' earthly life and body, soul, spirit, body, was so emotionally grounded, it makes a lot of sense as to why he was spiritually alive, linking to his two best friends, his father and the Holy Spirit. Because he was emotionally grounded, he was emotionally rooted in healthy spirituality. I'm gonna give you just a couple of examples for where I see this and how we can see it and hidden within them are actual practical ways that we can begin to reframe the way we think and what our emotions uh, and our emotional spirituality looks like. So this is Jesus practicing the way of emotionally healthy spirituality. Firstly, knowing your origin story and where you are going. John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Listen to this, that he had come from God and that one day he would return to God. This is something that causes many people a lot of pain. The spiritual dynamic around it is huge and it's about identity. It's about value. It's about mortality. And it's about understanding the eternal. Core identity is working out who are you really if everything was taken away from you. And Jesus knew where he had come from was God. Question, do you? Is that belief so deeply rooted in your life that your emotions express it in Zoe? Do you just know? I know. I've come from God. Christ found me. Christ redeemed me. I came from God. Not only that, but he knew where he was returning to when this was all over. Once he had accomplished everything, once he had his final breath was breathed, he was going back to God. Question, do you know that? Do you know that in the core part of who you are with the certainty that you know where you are going for eternity? Would it not help deal with a lot of fear of the future? What did Jesus say? Don't fear the one who can kill your body. Fear the one who can kill your spirit, the soul. Because why? Because they may kill you, but you're actually a living being beyond your body. So a lot of emotional um, depression and anxiety come from these two places. In anxiety, it's simply unresolved fear of the future. And what, what if, the what ifs. And Jesus, before he does anything, he just knows, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. Therefore, right, I'm alive, I'm healthy. They're still gonna crucify me. But actually, I'm standing strong. Emotional, healthy spirituality, secondly, is choosing wisely who you give your sovereignty and power to. John 2, 23, now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people and he knew what was inside each person. This is super important because when we're affected by people's opinions of us, it's actually often because we've given them too much power. We, we respect their opinion way more than we should simply because why? We've given over sovereignty. And it's not just that. There are big people in our lives. It could be a parent. You might have actually left home, but your parent still has a power over you because you've never in your emotional world been able to separate yourself from their judgments, 
their opinions and their views of you. And God actually calls us to honour our mother and father, but not to be enslaved to them. Could be a sibling, could be a boss, could be whatever. Regardless, perception or reality of being powerless causes us to act out, causes us to accept things we shouldn't, to refuse things that we shouldn't, actually causes emotional wholeness to really be um, removed from us. And God wants you to be able to take back the reins of your life and take back the sovereignty of your life and put it in God's hands and then be able to know what belongs in your hands in Jesus' name. Thirdly, Jesus practised emotionally healthy spirituality by learning how to respond rather than to react. A little disclaimer on this whole message, I'm not a psychologist, and also on this point, I'm really working hard at this. This is really, really difficult for me. Ephesians 4.15 says, instead, listen, he's about to tell us what maturity is, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Jesus Christ. By how? Speaking true things in love, being honest. Your and my inability to be honest about things causes massive emotional immaturity. We will dance around people. We will cause things and allow things to take place that never should. Paul's request of believers is that like Jesus, okay, you can be honest about things but not in an aggressive, harmful way. I'm learning this, I'm still learning this, but in love. I'm a reasonably passionate person and sometimes my passion and my zeal gets away from me and I become so zealous for the truth that it ends up actually becoming quite abrasive. Um, There has been odd times and by odd, I just mean thousands where (coughs) Rebecca has said to me, I know you're trying to be assertive, but do you realise it could be coming across like aggression? And I'll say, it's definitely not, which is a form of aggression. (laughs) And I could tell you that I want to blame my mum for that. And I could tell you that it's all about her mum because she was quite like that as well. And it probably had to do with her and her mum being taken away from them when they were little kids and the girls having to take care of the farm because of my grandfather you know, then also being under pressure. I could tell you all that stuff. But at the end of the day, there are some family stuff that goes on in our life that we have to take ownership for. I can't blame my mum forever. If I react, I need to stop and I need to work out what was under that. What, What am I trying to accomplish here? Truth and love builds our lives into the image of Christ. You can be honest with those who have hurt you and say, I want to let you know that you've hurt me. But in love, you're just not going to put it on Facebook. No, it was partly a joke, but that's all right. (laughs) Jesus not only did that, but emotional, healthy spirituality is seeing possibility rather than dead ends. Now, I know you would say, no, that's just spirituality. Mark 9.23 says, Jesus said to the father of a boy possessed by a demon, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And I believe faith is a spiritual response as well as a thinking response. 
Sometimes it's choosing to go beyond your thinking, but it actually envelops and develops through you thinking about the sovereignty and the power and the possibility of God. And I think actually it's one of the things that causes the most emotional distress is feeling completely stuck and trapped in life. Jesus is anchored in the Father's promise and the Holy Spirit's power, so he sees possibility. It's healthy emotional spirituality to see possibility even though your eyes see impossibility. That is good emotional spirituality. I know it involves risk. I know it involves the potential of it not happening or whatever, but God has called us to have faith in our souls, faith in our spirit, faith embodied, taking steps of faith. So you should meditate on God saying, I know you can. I love that song we've been singing, eh? I sometimes stand here in these services and wonder, I do think, I wonder if everyone believes this. I know you can. Working all things for my good. I'm just standing at the man in the mirror. <laughs> you know, Brent, when I was a young pastor, Brent taught me this one phrase. Man, it was powerful. And you absorb it into your emotional world, your spiritual world and embodied. You say this, there's always a way. If you come up against an impossibility, out of your spirit, out of your soul, you just say, there's always a way. With God on my side, there's always a way. And as you begin to really believe that, body, soul, spirit, possibility can open up before us. Not getting many amens. Finally, emotionally healthy spirituality, probably because it's a challenge, is finally, and you see Jesus doing all these things, dealing well with disappointments and with grief. John 11 is an amazing scripture where Jesus is standing with his friends. And it's a sad occasion because his dear friend Lazarus has died. In the strangest verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Not cried a solitary tear, he wept. Have you ever seen someone really weep? Really like just, their emotions, what's happening? Expressing loss. The Jews in the next verse said, see how he loved them. See how he loved him, sorry. And what's strange is though, is that Jesus was about to raise him from the dead. So how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus express spiritual power over death and yet openly express his emotional sadness? Why is it that we feel like if we express our emotional grief, that will be without power? Why do we think that? It's emotional immaturity, spiritually speaking. So he stood before this body and he said, Lazarus, come out. And up came this body, but he had wept. And, and I don't know exactly how he did it, but I'm really keen to learn. Because I've found in my life, not grieving causes big emotional problems. Not acknowledging loss. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 6 and 7? Blessed are those who pretend they're not sad. Blessed are those who grin and bear it. Blessed are those who quote a scripture. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn. We don't want to. We don't like it. It's terribly, terrible. I remember when my mum was dying and I remember 
been with her. Sai went up as well. And, and I remember being there and you would have felt this as well. But I walked into the room as she was, she was just going unconscious this day. And up out of my soul came an eight-year-old. And I just began to weep uncontrollably. My aunties were there because I'd just arrived. And I just walked, they walked out the door and shut it. And for the next 45 minutes, I'm just holding onto her legs and just weeping. Now, like Jesus, not, I'm not like Jesus, but like Jesus, I knew she was going to heaven. But there was something in me and I just began to weep, 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 weep. And then I flew, I had to go down that afternoon and speak at a church in New Plymouth. And I remember just in those moments, just, God, I need you. I can't do this without you. I can't rely on you. My emotions are up the wazoo. And and I flew back home and then Tuesday, we got a text from my auntie, your mum's just passed away. And I just, Rebecca put her arm around me. I just began to weep. We were in bed, it was early morning. I just began to weep and weep. That mum had left and she was in heaven with Jesus. So sad and, then though, I've had, I was going to fly back up because we weren't there in Auckland where she died and just with the timeline, she'd passed away really quick. And then anyway, I went up and I began as I'm about to get on the plane to dread going back into that room where her, now her body was. Why? Because we hate, we're afraid sometimes of the places that we'll go if we truly let God have our emotions. We're afraid to say that sucked. Some of the things going on in churches around this nation right now suck. And I don't know why there's a lot of judgment, but there's not a lot of weeping. There's not a lot of mourning. The world's not gonna mourn for it. The people of God, you know, and just understanding the pain and understanding the grief. And on the plane ride up there, I just got the Word of God out and I began to devour that Word, hours of it. And I just, just tell you, in my emotions, I just knew I can, this is gonna be okay. I'm gonna be okay. And then my brother Phil picked me up at the airport and I walked out and I saw him and I just hugged him and we began to cry together at Auckland Airport. It's bizarre. It's a horrible layout, so it deserves the tears. <laughs> and then we drove out to where she was in Kumu. And we walked in and more weeping. And I remember looking through the photos at home when we're flying back and we're going to have a funeral back here and looking through all the photos and I just sat there weeping because my mum and photos of us boys and our life. (laughs) I know a lot of people would say, where's your faith? Right there. Right there, people. That God gave us this gift of a mum. And I know that she's with the Lord, but I mourn. And we might have disappointments that we've never grieved for. We might have real things that went on that we've never ever allowed ourselves to say because we just build up fortresses around our emotions. And that's why spiritually it's hard for you for anything to penetrate. Your spirit, because your emotions and your spirit are so closely linked. Yes, they do overlap at times, but there comes a point that until you let down the guard, Your spirit is like a walled up fortress. And God wants into your heart. God wants into your body. God wants into your spirit. So we come before Jesus today. 
and we practice the way that if there are, is, there's grief and disappointment, we're gonna lay it down before His feet. And if there is fear and anxiety, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. And in between, I'm gonna trust God for the best. If the, if the leaf withers, if the flower fades, yet shall I hope in Him. Let your spirit come alive as you begin to journey emotionally healthy spirituality. And now I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm going to ask Him just to begin to wash through this place through the name of Jesus. And it might not be that you've got something that is left undealt with, but it might be that something in you needs to come alive and Maybe something that's laid down. And Have you just been reactive lately? Maybe you're just resenting something that has to be brought before the Lord and processed through and worked through. And Let me just swear. I'm going to use a swear word. You ready? You need to go to a counsellor. I am shocked at the amount of people who... I said, oh, have you tried a counsellor? The amount of people who actually have real issues going on so have you been to a counsellor and they look at you like you are Satan himself? Did you not know the other name for the Holy Spirit is counsellor? Like, what do you know about God? That He would sit there and ask you some questions and what will He say to you? What's this to you? What can I do for you? Do you know that I care for you? I feel this too. You are my son. You are my daughter. So this young man right now is just gonna play. And I want you to close your eyes. And Holy Spirit, I just ask you right now that you just bring up anything in our lives that even if it is actually, Lord, the true status of how we see this whole thing. Man, sometimes my emotions, our emotions get away on us, but Lord, today we bring it before you. We recognise today that joy and peace. Our emotions too. Spiritual. Vitality. But Lord, first, there may need to be some letting go. And so I just, right now, just in this moment, I'm just gonna let the Holy Spirit minister. And I just want you to just bring before the Lord, okay? The place of unforgiveness, place of bitterness, place of resent, a disappointment. It's not where you wanted to be at this stage in life, whatever it might be. Not working out the way you want it to work out, have the opportunities you wanted, whatever it is. Surrender. Surrender today. Will our eyes close? Let's just let you now, Holy Spirit, move. We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz.